0: CHAPTER 33 OF THE ROMANCE OF MODERN ELECTRICITY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson CHAPTER 33 CONCLUSION MORE WONDERFUL THAN Aladdin's LAMP A brief historical review, slow progress prior to the 19th century, an international advance, Davy and Faraday, a genealogical table, present achievements, future possibilities. We have seen how electricity serves mankind, enabling us to hold immediate communication with all parts of the world or carrying for us the mighty power of the waterfall to distant towns by means of a stationary wire, or making it possible for us to actually hold conversations with friends distant hundreds of miles. Does not the simple statement of these and similar facts read as a fairy tale? And are they not, in truth, far more wonderful than all that Aladdin's lamp did for him? It is remarkable that all the practical applications of electricity have been made during the last century, and that the most of these have been begun during the lifetime of many people now living. Within the last decade, we have seen many new fields opened up in the electrical world, the most conspicuous applications being X-ray work and wireless signaling. The experimental work with radioactive bodies has also a close connection with electricity. Electricity had been known from early times, there being records relating to rubbed amber as far back as 640 BC, and the discovery of magnetism in the lodestone or natural magnet is a matter of ancient history having been recorded at a much earlier date than the observed phenomena of electrical attraction in rubbed amber. It does seem strange that these phenomena, which have now led to such marvelous results, were allowed to lie practically dormant for a space of twenty centuries. During that long time, generations of men came and went attaching little, if any, importance to these great discoveries, excepting to use the lodestone as a guide in desert marches. It was not until the dawn of the 17th century that any serious attention was given to this important subject. About the year 1600, Dr. William Gilbert, one of Queen Elizabeth's private physicians, wrote a book describing many experiments he had made and deducing from these that the earth itself was a huge magnet and that it was possible to magnetize a piece of iron by the earth's influence. Gilbert also suggested that terrestrial magnetism and electricity were both allied emanations of a single force. One very important discovery of Gilbert's was that amber, which had so long been known to possess peculiar properties when rubbed, had no monopoly of these properties, but that they were also exhibited by a very great number of bodies when rubbed. By direct experiment, Gilbert was able to show such bodies as glass, sulfur, sealing wax, hard wood, etc., attracting light bodies towards them after friction had been applied to their surfaces. But although Gilbert wrote down very clearly in Latin all that he had discovered and proved— The subject received very little attention for another century and a half. During that time people had certainly taken some little interest, for they had constructed simple machines to do the rubbing for them on a larger scale, and with the increased effects a few additional phenomena had been observed. But the advance of knowledge in this branch of science was extremely slow. It was Germany that gave the lead in the making of these early electrical machines. About the middle of the 18th century, Benjamin Franklin, the great American philosopher, discovered the identity of electricity with lightning, and before the century had closed, Professor Galvani of Italy made known his observations on the twitching of a dead frog's legs due to an electric discharge. His fellow countryman Volta, A celebrated physician of Bologna, in following up the observations of Galvani, discovered a means of producing a continuous electric current. Progress now became more rapid, for with the dawn of the nineteenth century, a very close relationship was proved to exist between electricity and magnetism. We are indebted to the native land of Her Majesty Queen Alexandra for this very important discovery for it was Hans Christian Ørsted of Denmark who observed the effect of an electric current upon a neighboring magnetic needle. About this time, Professor Ampere of France and Dr. G. S. Ohm of Germany, whose names are embodied in present-day electrical units, did much to make the meaning of things clearer. It was also about this same time, or to be more exact, in 1822, that Professor Seebeck, of Berlin, discovered that electricity could be produced by heat. While it was an Englishman who in 1600 laid the foundations of electrical science, it is clear that, after a long lapse of years, the progress was very materially aided by America, Germany, Italy, France, and Denmark. But when we come to a study of modern developments, we find two Englishmen taking a very strong lead. Indeed, we may look upon Sir Humphrey Davy and his co-worker Michael Faraday as the pioneers of all the great industrial applications of electricity. These two great men worked together at the Royal Institution in London, Faraday acting as assistant to Davy. It is interesting to note in this connection that although Davy was only Faraday's senior by a dozen years, he did not live to see any of the great electrical industries begun, while Faraday, who along with Davy laid the foundation stones, lived to see many electrical applications launched on a business footing, as he did not die till the year 1867. There is an interesting story told of Faraday, which serves to show his very practical turn of mind. An American inventor came over to this country in the early days of electrical enterprise, exhibiting a large electrical motor machine, with the object of floating the same for industrial purposes. A number of eminent men of the day were asked to give their opinions regarding this new kind of motor. Some gave great praise, but Faraday stood for some time watching the machine at work, and then, without making any remark, He went to the corner of the room, and picking up a broom, he applied the handle of it as a brake upon the large flywheel, till he almost brought the motor to a standstill. Then, letting it go free, he left without making any public statement. It must have been clear to the inventor that his motor was not capable of driving any load. Of course, this genius had no better source of power than a large and clumsy chemical battery. This review has purposely been very brief, and it is therefore necessarily incomplete, including merely those items of most general interest. A very simple genealogical table might be formed, beginning with lodestone and rubbed amber, the latter leading to the construction of frictional machines, then the discovery of the action of one of these machines upon the legs of a frog it being found that the contact of two dissimilar pieces of metal produced the same twitching effect as the electrical machine. A battery of metal disks was made, and these placed in acids gave us the principle of all batteries. The observed effect of this battery current upon a neighboring magnetic needle gave the basis of all telegraph and telephone apparatus, and when it was discovered that the converse was true, and that a magnet could so influence a moving conductor as to set up an electric current in it, then dynamos, motors, induction coils, etc., soon followed. Lord Kelvin, Sir William Thompson, one of the foremost workers in the electrical world, has passed away since the date of the first edition of this volume. His ingenuity made submarine telegraphy possible he added a great deal to our electrical knowledge. Professor Sir J.J. J. Thompson of Cambridge and Sir Oliver Lodge of Birmingham are conspicuous in connection with modern ideas of electricity. To sum up in detail, the benefits we have already obtained from electricity would require considerable space and is quite unnecessary. It will be sufficient to remark upon a few of the principal applications. As a speedy carrier of news, electricity has no rival. It also holds a unique position in transmitting speech over great distances, and quite recently we have the almost inconceivable achievement of speaking through space without any connecting wires. While as an illuminant, electricity has rivals which successfully compete with it, it possesses many advantages over its competitors, the one obstacle to its general use being its greater cost. As a means of conveying power from one place to another, electricity stands head and shoulders above all other methods, making it possible to take advantage of the energy of large waterfalls. We have seen how electricity now aids the physician and the chemist, whilst a host of other interesting applications have been dealt with. It would be idle to prophesy regarding the future possibilities in the electrical world, but there seems little doubt that in time we shall have a complete electrification of our railways. Our present method of making the source of power drive not only itself along, but also a heavy supply of coals and water for its own consumption, does seem a very clumsy proceeding, when compared with a fixed generating plant dispensing power in wholesale fashion to all the trains upon a particular route. It is very remarkable that the trains have merely to be in contact with a stationary wire, which conducts current from the dynamos to the electric motors on board the train. We must look upon these motors as merely converters, transforming electrical energy into mechanical motion. There will no doubt be a great increase in speed on electrified railways, and it is quite possible that the ordinary speeds of the next generation would at present appear quite ridiculous to us if they could be correctly predicted. Our grandfather said that people would as soon be shot off like a Congreve rocket as trust themselves to the mercy of a steam locomotive, the speed then being about 18 miles per hour. Nowadays we ride at a speed of 50 miles an hour, with an occasional short run of 90 miles per hour. It seems to me very probable that before another generation has come and gone, people will have no cause to grumble at smoke and dirt in the atmosphere of cities, as the whole energy required for motive power, heating, and lighting may be delivered from one great generating station outside of the city. When the cost of electricity has been greatly reduced, its use will doubtless become quite universal, and in future days the housewives will not have to trouble about the making of fires for heating and cooking. It may be that both the heating and lighting will be regulated by automatic devices, which even now would be possible, though extravagant. When using the telephone of the future, we need not be surprised if, When calling up a friend without the aid of exchange operators, we hear our friend's voice reply that he has gone out and does not expect to be back till late in the evening, but begs us, if it is any message that can be left for him, just to speak it into this automatic machine which is at present speaking, and it will deliver the message to its master on his return home. Doubtless there will be advances during the next century that the mind of man has not yet conceived, for the patient research of so many able workers is bound to be productive and leading to further practical applications. When Franklin was asked what use there was in some of his experiments, he would reply in Scotch fashion by asking another question, What is the use of a baby? and when the illustrious Faraday was similarly questioned, he would say, Endeavor to make it useful. It was only yesterday we knew nothing of X-rays, wireless telegraphy, etc., and doubtless there are other and greater surprises awaiting even the present generation of men, while those things which we now class under modern electricity may ere long be catalogued as Early Ideas and Undertakings in Ether End of Chapter 33 End of The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson